Several years ago, there was a movie that came out starring Matt Damon called We Bought a Zoo. If you haven't seen it, it's a great family movie that kind of chronicles a small family as they deal with the ups and downs of losing their mother as she passed away. Matt Damon stars as the father, and one of the things he does is he decides to create a change of pace for the family, and they buy a different house in which to live, which actually came with and was connected to a small zoo. One of the other storylines in the movie was Matt Damon's son, whose name in the movie was Dylan. And Dylan had some feelings for a teenage girl that worked at the zoo. And throughout the movie, you kind of see how Dylan and Lily's relationship is kind of up and kind of down. Sometimes they're getting together and getting along. Other times, they're not getting along at all. And that roller coaster of a relationship was pretty much due to the fact that Dylan was nervous to share with Lily how he really felt about her. Well, all of this kind of comes to a head towards the end of the movie where Dylan, as the teenage son, sits down with his father in the movie played by Matt Damon, and he kind of shares with Matt all the things that he's been feeling and what's been on his heart and his difficulty with Lily. And it's then that his dad gives him this advice. He says, Sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you that something great will come of it. So Dylan takes his dad's advice and he ends up taking those 20 seconds to tell Lily exactly how he felt about her. And the good news, it's a good feel-good movie is that Lily felt exactly the same. And there's nothing better. Everything is right in the world when teenagers are in love, right? What do you think about the father's advice? I think that as Matt Damon shared these words with his son, that there is some reality to the fact that sometimes we just need to be brave. But I wonder if Damon maybe went a little too far when he said, I, I promise you that something great will come of it. That's not always true, is it? I bet some of you who are watching or listening online today probably can think of a time in your past where you told a girl or told a guy how you felt about him or felt about her and he or she didn't feel the very same way. Or, or maybe if someone would boldly jump out of an airplane without a parachute, we wouldn't call that boldness. We would call that something else. So even though Damon's advice, I don't think, is 100% true, here's something that is true. That there are times in your life when you need to be bold. In fact, think about it for a moment. Think about all the things that you would have never done if you didn't have just a little bit of boldness in your life. <laughs> You would have never learned to ride a bike. You would have never jumped off the diving board. You would have never gotten on the school bus. You wouldn't have gone out for that part in the musical. You wouldn't have asked the girl to prom. You wouldn't have ever gotten married. You wouldn't have moved out for college. You wouldn't have gotten a job. In fact, if you didn't have any boldness, more than likely, 
you'd still be living in your parents' basement. There are times in your life when you need to be bold. In fact, I'd like you to do something to know that you're participating with me. Could you tell someone sitting next to you in your house right now this? You just need to be bold. Tell them that. You just need to be bold. Now that's not only true in the movies with a teenage son. As we've talked about, it's true in life. And it's also very true when it comes to being a Christian. That there is a certain semblance of boldness that is needed as a, a Christian. That the Christian life is filled with, in relationship with God, so many blessings, so many awesome things that he gives to us. A semblance of confidence and peace and joy that the world can't understand. But along with that, there's also an extraordinary amount of purpose. Let me show you what I mean. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was about to rise or about to ascend into heaven, physically speaking. And he gathered his closest followers along with him. It, they were, these were the beginnings of the church, these people were. And before he leaves, pretty much the very last thing he tells them is recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 says, you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones who are going to go out and to tell the world the things that I've done, that I've risen from the dead. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city where they were. In all Judea. Judea is kind of like the county or maybe even the state. And Samaria, that would be a bordering country. And even to the ends of of the earth. God called his people, those who follow Jesus, not to only be recipients of blessing, but to have tremendous purpose, to have a tremendous opportunity in our lives to make a difference. And, and that's what I want you to know right now. Because sometimes, I get it, sometimes we feel like our life doesn't have significance, that our day doesn't matter. Especially in quarantine, it feels like at times that we don't even know what day it is. Are we living out purpose? Do we feel like we have a purpose? We do. And, and that simple truth is our first fill-in for today, that you have tremendous purpose. I don't know I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I don't care where you live or what you do or where you work. You have purpose no matter who you are and where you are. God has decided to make you and to make me the ones who are to share this message of sins forgiven Heaven given as a free gift, a relationship with God through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are the ones that get to share it. I mean, just think about not only the responsibility, but the privilege. I mean, God could have chosen the angels, but he didn't. God could have chosen for there to be big speakers in the sky and that five times a day he gets on the heavenly intercom system and proclaims to the world, Jesus is my son. He died and rose again. Believe in him. It's not 
what God decided to do. (laughs) Maybe think of it this way. He chose you, he chose me, and there is no plan B. He chose you to be a witness. He chose me to share the message. And there really is no plan B. And you know, when we think about the season that we're in right now, I want to share something with you that maybe you haven't thought about, but it's so true. That I don't know of another time in my lifetime, at least for a six weeks period of time, where people have been as a country so interested in things of spiritual nature and of God. Uh, Google tells us that searches about spirituality and God are at an all-time high. Statistics tell us that more people participated in an Easter service this year than ever before. There is a thirst for what you and I have already received and many of us watching, maybe most of us, already know and already understand in regards to what Jesus has done for us and has given to us as a gift. But I I think the thing that holds us back at times, one, is not realizing that this is our purpose. Number two, though, is also a simple word that pops up a lot in our lives. It's, it's fear. If you've ever felt a little fear over sharing your faith or being a witness, I can understand. I get it. We have fear that we might say it wrong. We have fear over not being able to answer everyone's questions. Um, we have fear that, that we're going to be judged or that it's going to be come off as I'm judging them. We're going to be, f- we're fear that we're going to be viewed in a, in a different way as fanatics or something like that. There's just so many fears that go through our hearts and our minds. And the reality is, is it is easier just to sit back and to say nothing. The truth is, it is easier and more comfortable not to carry out this purpose. It's easier, but that's not what God has called us to. And so how do we be bold in witness, even though so easily fear can creep up in our hearts and in our minds? Well, I I suppose I could just share with you Matt Damon's words again and tell you just 20 seconds of courage and I promise you that something great will come of it. And if I shared this with you, you would poke holes in it, tell me that's not always true, and I would agree with you. It's not always true. This morning, I want to share with you something even better, something even greater than some words from a movie that aren't always true. I want to show you how you can be bold and why you can be bold through the life of one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. His name is Peter. Pastor Matt got us started on this series last week that we're calling Be Bold, where we're chronicling Peter's life, especially in the days 
weeks, and months after he saw Jesus rise from the dead. And when it comes to bold witness, Peter is the absolutely perfect case study. And here's why. He was on both sides of this, both crippled by fear and then bold to the extent that as we were reminded last week, he actually died because of his faith and that he wouldn't stop witnessing to the truth of Jesus. You know, you think about Peter being so brave and and so bold and you think about the difference in Peter on Good Friday when Jesus is on trial and Peter's in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem and a woman, maybe even a a girl, comes up to him and says, "Um, don't you know Jesus? Aren't, Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter's not willing to acknowledge even knowing Jesus. Not only doesn't he make a proclamation about Jesus, he he denies even knowing him three times, uses curse words to, to sort of back up what he was saying, his denial. Well, the section of scripture that we're going to look at this morning happened about 50 days after that conversation with the girl in the temple courtyard. Peter and the other disciples are back in Jerusalem. And it's Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, probably most similar to maybe what you and I know as Thanksgiving. It was a a thankfulness for the harvest. And all of a sudden, on that Pentecost day, there was this huge sound of a blowing wind that came through the town. It was a sound, but there was no wind. Everyone heard it, and they, so many came out of their houses to see what was going on. And it, what it seems like is that everyone kind of came out of their homes, kind of congregated in the town square in Jerusalem, and what the people saw was this. They saw Jesus' disciples, his closest followers, and they had little flames above their head and were able to speak in other foreign languages. Now, this was as weird to them and as unlikely to them to see as it would have been for us to see. So weird, in fact, that some couldn't understand the gibberish of the disciples. It wasn't gibberish, but to them, it sounded that way, that they accused the disciples of being drunk, even though it was in the morning. At this point, someone needs to stand up to speak. Someone needs to explain what was really going on. Guess who decided to stand up? Guess who decided to get out of his comfort zone and be bold? It was Peter. And if you just take a step backwards and think about it for a moment, It's amazing how eerily similar the circumstances were on Pentecost as they were on Good Friday. In this way, they're in the same town, Jerusalem. They're surrounded by a group of people who hate Jesus. In fact, 
a lot of the people surrounding Peter on Pentecost were the exact same people who were there 50 days earlier shouting, crucify him. And they were in a situation where Peter's well-being and even life was in jeopardy and in danger. And yet, we see a different Peter. He doesn't back away. He doesn't deny knowing Jesus. He proclaims a bold witness and, in fact, preaches the very first sermon in the Christian church post-Easter. So in that sermon, the first thing he does is he points out that what's happening, you know, the fire, little flames of fire and the different languages and the blowing wind, that this is something that was actually predicted by the prophet Joel years ago. And that what they're experiencing is a special outpouring and presence of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, Jesus predicted would happen too. We talked about that in the series earlier called Before I Go. And as he tells them about why these things were happening, as the sermon continues, we also see where Peter's boldness came from. Let's go to verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Remember, Peter's standing in front of the crowds and he's preaching a sermon to them boldly. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And I'm going to pause there and I'm going to say this. I'm going to point out that what Peter points out here is the thing that everyone knew about Jesus. He was the miracle man. He was the guy that if you were around him, you might see something that you had never seen before. (laughs) Jesus healed leprosy. He made the lame walk. He gave sight to the blind. He um, cast out demons. In fact, more than likely, some of the people in the crowd that day were there on a hillside months earlier when Jesus fed thousands with just a little bit of food. And not only are these things what the crowds focused on the most about Jesus, the reality is those are the things that Peter focused on the most as well. Let me say it a different way, that when it came to Jesus, prior to his death and resurrection, the the thing that Peter thought about the most is how Jesus could make a difference in his earthly life and how by being with Jesus, things in his earthly life were better. And Peter wasn't alone That confusion was true for the other disciples and really for almost all of Israel. And I think this understanding, maybe better said misunderstanding, of why Jesus was here really goes to say a lot or to show a lot as to why Peter was so distraught on Good Friday. Because Peter was counting on Jesus to make things better 
right now. Peter was thinking that Jesus could not be arrested, that he could not be killed because he had seen all the miracles that Jesus had done. But then he was arrested and he was crucified. And if that happened to Jesus, well, then there's a lot for me to fear about my life too. And we see this, this fear happen as also right after the crucifixion, Peter and the other disciples are gathered in a room in Jerusalem, the doors locked for, as the Bible says, the fear of the Jews. And then on Easter evening, Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, decides to pay a visit to Peter and to Thomas and to John and to the rest of the boys. He doesn't open the door because as the resurrected Savior, he just appears inside. And he shows them that death did not win. That Jesus had risen from the death and had defeated the devil. And whether it was all that evening on Easter evening or, or maybe it was over the next 40 days and the different uh, times that Jesus had a chance to speak with the disciples, he taught them. He helped them understand the truth of why he had come. He showed them that why his death and resurrection was so needed, that his death was meant to pay for the sins of the disciples and yours and mine too, the punishment that we deserve, that his resurrection meant that our earthly life may not always be great, but that there is a heavenly home waiting for us. And for Peter, when it came to his witness, when it came to his boldness, I think this is very true, that Jesus' resurrection changed everything for Peter. This understanding of what was really going on and why Jesus had really come we see it in the next verses of his sermon where he continues in verse 23. This man was handed over to you not because the Jews are conniving and the Romans are powerful and Pontius Pilate is a wimp. This man was handed over to you because God had a plan, God's deliberate plan and his foreknowledge that in a very real way, the Jews and the Romans, they are culpable for Jesus' death from the perspective that they made the decision to crucify him, to kill him. It goes on later to say that with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But all of that was working in the context of a grander plan, a greater salvation plan that God had in mind and that he was carrying out. Verse 24, you see, God raised that Jesus whom you crucified, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
You see, we talk about this a lot, but it's referenced here again. That the empty tomb is your proof, your seal, your guarantee that someday on the last day, that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus for their salvation, that our tombs will be empty as well. That life is short, but that eternity is forever. And that the greatest thing that Jesus could do would be to come to change our eternity and walk with us, even though life sometimes will be hard. You see, I firmly believe, as I had a chance to study through these verses again this week, is that Peter's boldness, of course, came from the resurrection and, and, and came from the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But so much of it was that Peter was so brave because he understood now versus Good Friday in the temple courts. He understood better than ever the big picture that life is short, that eternity is long. And what am I going to live for? Am I going to live for this life or am I going to live for eternity? Um, I got a little bit creative uh, this week on one of my fill-ins, and, uh, but hopefully it means that you'll remember it. So it's a rhyme, um, this, that worldly acclaim is not our aim. That getting the accolades and the glory of the world, that's not what we're going for. That worldly acclaim, worldly pats on the back, worldly fame, that may be another word, is not our aim. And whenever we talk about these things, I always think that it's really important that I point out that this doesn't mean that our earthly lives don't matter. And it doesn't mean that as business leaders or as a mom or as whatever your occupation is, that we should just set the bar low, not go after good things or big things, not set goals. All of those things we absolutely should do. We should use the gifts in this world, at our workplace, in our families, to the best of our abilities. But here's more of, I guess, to the point. That while we go after those things, when we recognize that worldly acclaim is not our aim, those types of things we can still go after, but they're just not as important. They're a part of our hearts and lives. They're not the center of our hearts and our lives. We run into big issues from an emotional perspective if we try to find our self-worth, our purpose, our self-esteem, our value in anyone, including our family, other than God. He's the one that we've been redeemed to live for. He's the one that we get a chance to use our lives to bring him glory 
as we live in the thankfulness of all the things that he's done for us for this life and for eternity. And Jesus tells us that one of the ways you can live with eternity in mind, maybe the biggest purpose of your life, why I have, why I have not taken you from this life yet, is because I have called you to be my witness in the area that you live and the relationships that you have. Because the, the truth of the matter is this, is that everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we have the opportunity to be God's instrument, to lead them to understand that through Jesus, that place will be heaven. Peter continues in verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life. And as he's speaking to all of these uh, uh, Jerusalem citizens, these Jewish people, he says, we are all witnesses of it. And this is a key reason why Jesus stuck around for 40 days after Easter. His purpose was to show people exactly what happened to him. That his body wasn't lost, that it wasn't stolen, that as he appeared to hundreds of people over those 40 days, he was helping their witness by giving them something to witness to his death, and then the fact that he was alive. And it's interesting in context. Again, this sermon happens 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And the truth is that if there was a body, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, these citizens could have taken Peter and the other disciples to the tomb, which was just blocks away, and showed them the body. But they didn't because there was no body, and they were witnesses to it. Verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, and that was a title of respect that was honestly used in a lot of different contexts, and Messiah. And that word was only ever used for one person throughout the Old Testament, the coming Savior, God's Son, the one whom generations had waited for. And when those in Jerusalem, those Jews who knew their Old Testament, heard that word, they knew exactly what Peter was saying. How did they respond? Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It struck them. They thought about it even more than that. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter told them, Go to church every week. Told them, Follow the Ten Commandments and you might have a chance of being in relationship with God. Live a good life. That's the ticket. Peter replied, Repent. Confess your sin. Don't ignore it. Confess it. And turn to Jesus 
for forgiveness. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. And you will also receive in that the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is forgiveness. The gift of the Holy Spirit is faith. The gift of the Holy Spirit is is heaven through that faith. You see, Pentecost is a day where we celebrate the special outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but that was not just to the disciples. It was to all who came to faith that day and that, in fact, 3,000 were baptized in that very same day. Just think about that for a moment. I've been a pastor for about 16 years, and I think I've had about 250 baptisms in 16 years. 3,000 in one day. What an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's the, the, the next part about boldness that I want you to realize. That I think, as we talked before, sometimes we find fear. Sometimes we get paralyzed by thinking that we have to have the very perfect words in order to convince somebody into faith. And if we don't have those perfect words, if we don't think we're eloquent, then, well, we're not going to say anything. Why were 3,000 baptized on Pentecost? Because Peter had the perfect sermon? I mean, it was good. It's because the Holy Spirit was working through it. He was the power. I, I think of another New Testament, first century pastor who talked about the same thing. His name was Paul, and he did not feel that he was a very good preacher or orator. He, he talked numerous times about how he was just very normal and regular in his preaching skills. And to the Corinthians, he wrote this once. He wrote, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Here's the thing I want you to realize about your witness, and I hope it's something that helps you to be bold, okay? It's our third fill-in, that it's not your eloquence that's important. It's God's power. It's not your eloquence. It's God's power. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about what we're going to say first. And it doesn't mean that we should just start spouting off our mouths and not know what we should be sharing. I would never get up for a sermon and not having first thought about and prepped the words that I'm going to say. But what it does mean is that after we think about it, after we pray about it for a sermon, after we study and do that, that hard work, that we recognize that we can be bold because it's not me and my eloquence. It's not you and your right words. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And honestly, there's always going to be some things that you can't answer. I mean, I, I'm a seminary-trained pastor, and there's questions I get that I can't answer, that there's just not answers to. But the interesting thing is that when you look at that first-century church, 
whenever they had an opportunity to share the reason for their hope, the essence of making a witness, it always came back to essentially the same thing. It's this, Jesus died and was buried. He rose and was seen. The centerpiece of their faith, the centerpiece of ours, the centerpiece of the witness we can make that God the Holy Spirit will use is so simple. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again and was seen. So, let's get practical as we close today. What does it look like to be bold in our witness. In the first century church, what it meant was a group of people who were willing to talk about Jesus, to proclaim him as Savior, even though it meant that for many of them, they would die, and for all of them, their lives were threatened. In 21st century America, we don't, thankfully, have to be concerned about that. So what does boldness look like for us? Uh, I'm going to make an observation. Sometimes as I'm on social media, sometimes I get the impression that there are some Christians who think that boldness is the willingness to post just about anything that could be true about God, irregardless of how it comes off or how loving it's shared or whether it's a proper balance of love and truth. And I suppose there's a certain semblance of boldness to someone's willingness to do that. But I guess I would compare that to maybe the old school guy on the corner of the downtown with the bullhorn shouting, repent because the kingdom of God is near. I don't know about you, but that guy on the bullhorn, while speaking probably truth, is never something I really wanted to listen to. It never made a difference for me. It just seemed like yelling. So here's how I want you to think about it. It's our last fill-in. I, I want you to be bold with a conversation, not a bullhorn. As you think about ways to get out the truth, the opportunity, the purpose of our lives, be bold and think in terms of conversations, not in Facebook posts and bullhorns, okay? At least not the wrong kind. And maybe I can bring that down practically even more in two specific ways. We can be bold with conversations in this way by looking for relational opportunities and saying something when it's easier to say nothing. So how does that play out? What could boldness look like? Well, I told you before and statistics bear this out, that more than ever before, we live at a time where people are thirsting for truth and thirsting for peace and thirsting for grace. And there's probably people you know 
that either by conversation with them, by Zoom calls with them, or even by just following with them on social media, you, you know they're hurting. You know they have not a lot of peace right now. A prayer hands emoji is good. But what if we took it to the next step? What if we reached out to them with a phone call? What if we let them know through uh, an IM or a DM that uh, you'd love to talk with them more? What if you took the step when it was easier to say nothing, to say something, and to invite them to watch church with you online and then follow up with them afterward to see if they have any questions? Or, or maybe it's a family member or a close friend, and honestly, they are straying. They're, they're making decisions right now that are not in line with God's will for their life, and you're starting to see that this could cause big problems for them, and at the end of the day, it's already causing problems with their relationship with God. When it would be easier to say nothing, boldness says I'm going to say something and I'm going to do it prayerfully and I'm going to use my words wisely. I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit. And yes, it may mean that there's some conflict with that person for a little while, but God has called me to be a witness and I'm going to be bold. You've been invited by Jesus to be a part of something that is the most important thing. It's life-changing. It's eternity-changing. We have been given this opportunity to be witnesses. Let's be bold. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for, for changing our lives to the work of Jesus on the cross and proving that victory through the resurrection. Lord, so often fear comes, whether it's in witness or other things, where we take a very small view of our current circumstances and only think about how life, earthly life is and forget about eternity and the things that you have in mind for us that are far greater than this moment or this day. Help us to think about that more, eternity that is. Help us to trust you more, knowing that you have our best interests in mind. And then help each one of us to look for opportunities to say something, even when it might be easier to say nothing, and to be bold, knowing that you walk with us and the Holy Spirit can use us. We pray all of this. In Jesus, our Savior's name, amen.